the failure to act with sufficient ambition to avert the climate catastrophe will be the greatest moral failure of our time. Making changes takes courage, and if we don't change things, we won't have a future. I'm an environmentalist. A lot of people don't understand that. I think I know more about the environment than most people. You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. Change is coming, whether you like it or not. Zero Carbon East Hall. Hello and welcome to Zero Carbonista. I'm Ian Collins, but you don't need to know that. This series of podcasts is essentially about the views, the thoughts, the campaigns and ideas of one man and a plethora of guests along the way. Dale Vince is an entrepreneur who's built his success in the green energy sector. He's the owner of Ecotricity, the world's first green energy company, an area he identified years before this was remotely on the political agenda, let alone dominating world events as it clearly is now. He actually built his first windmill back in 1996. In addition to all of that, for those who don't know and haven't been paying attention, he's also the man behind Forest Green Rovers, the world's first vegan football club where he sits as chairman. On each episode, we'll bring you the latest salient issues on the biggest agenda on the planet right now, the environment and climate change. And, and Dale, it's important, I suppose, now that we look at you know election just around the corner. Uh, so the Labour manifesto is out. Let's have a listen to what was said. This manifesto is, and I'm proud of it, the most radical and ambitious plan to transform our country for decades. When Labour wins, the nurse wins, the student wins, the pensioner wins, the tenant wins, the young couple wins, we all win. So that's Jeremy Corbyn uh, speaking at the launch of the manifesto. Let's pick the bones out of that. What, what are you seeing in that manifesto and what are you making of it? Uh, yeah, I was really quite excited at uh, the prospect of this manifesto coming out. I did an event uh, a couple of weeks ago, which was about the Green Industrial Revolution, which is uh, an idea that's been around for a little while, I think, but Labour have picked it up and made it a cornerstone of their own policy. And I went to talk about that and uh, how I thought that worked with the issues of energy transport and food, which we work on. And so I went to the launch of the manifesto in Birmingham. That was a really great experience. Jeremy Corbyn is, is an amazing speaker. The, the atmosphere in the room was electric as he outlined uh, some of the main positions and, and his kind of his stance when it comes to the media and the things that are being said about him and the Labour Party and what can and can't be done for our country. I have to say I was really quite, quite moved by some of it and excited by, by a lot of it. And I got a copy of the Little Red Book and brought it home to Stroud here with me. You are holding the little bread book as we speak, which is fantastic. So, you know, I flicked through it uh, on the way back home yesterday afternoon, and the first chapter of this little red book is the Green Industrial Revolution, and uh, I thought that was fantastic. A great way to start a manifesto, and really quite symbolic, because this election, although personally I thought it was uh, the wrong time to have one in the winter, uh, this election is an enormous opportunity for us as a country. Some people talk about it as a once-in-a-lifetime, once-in-a-generation, that kind of stuff. I get where they're coming from because we've got 10 years to make radical changes to the way we live in order to avoid the worst effects of climate change. And so the government we choose next is going to be in power for half of that period. It's a, it's a really important choice that we're about to make. And uh, the good news for environmentalists of our country and people that care about fighting climate change and the future and all that kind of stuff is that Labour have a super green manifesto and, and a, a genuinely green outlook and big plans 
for investment in renewable energy, electrification of transport. Uh, I think they talk of creating a million jobs in the green economy, and they're going to twin this up as well with some social and economic justice, which you know is is just fantastic to see. So uh, I think it's a really exciting election and and really bold choice that we've got between us. We've had last nine years or so of a conservative government that have been quite basically anti-green. You know, they uh, banned onshore wind, shut down the solar industry, put a carbon tax on green energy and uh, all sorts of kind of retrograde steps, really. We've got a choice of another conservative government or the choice of a Labour government that have got this uh, incredible green agenda. And I think a very pragmatic approach to Brexit, which is to say, let's negotiate a proper deal with Europe and then let's put it back to the country to vote on. Uh, so that we know exactly what we're voting on, this deal or stay. That might be a bit of a long rambling answer. Um, tell me what you're thinking. Ju- ju- <laughs> no, 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 I'm, I'm intrigued, Del, really intrigued. And we've we've been in this territory before, but just for those listening who aren't sure, we mentioned the Green Party before and, and others. I- explain why it is that your support doesn't swing behind them and it swings behind Labour. Yeah, essentially... It comes down to our voting system, first past the post. Only two parties can win this election, the Conservatives or Labour. And with 10 years left to save the planet, we've got no time to lose. There is no time to wait for a reform of the electoral system, um, for example. Uh, But, you know, the good news is we can get a green government, the greenest government we've ever had, and maybe there's ever been in the world today. We can get that by voting Labour. So I think it's a perfect answer to the problems that we're facing. And, you know, I've got a lot of friends in the Green Party. I've got a lot of uh, respect for what they're trying to do. But they've got one MP, and there is no way on earth that they can form a government or even have a major influence in the next government, uh, however that's composed. And I honestly think that uh, the Green Party should put the planet before party and should stand down in all Labour Conservative marginals. I do believe that. And uh, I met with our local Green candidate last week and um, I told her that. I really think that the only thing she can achieve here, and it is a Labour Conservative marginal in Stroud, the only thing she can achieve is to let the Conservatives win. In in terms of... The specifics of what they're talking about. I mean, this sort of one-off tax on oil companies. I appreciate it's not your policy, but can you explain as best as you can ascertain, Dale, what what the purpose of this is and what it would achieve? And I I ask that because there there is an argument that says, actually, some of the big oil petroleum companies, we, we need to kind of keep on side because if anyone can be at the head of a transformation, curiously, it's these people. Yeah, I get that. Uh, I think that they'll play the role that they see works best for them. So as the transformation takes, uh, picks up pace, they will join it more vigorously. And at the moment, it doesn't make sense to them. Business as usual suits them better. And they're putting a lot of money into arguing against the science of climate change, for example. The tax itself, as I understand it, is something in the region of 11 billion pounds. And it's going to be used to create some kind of fairness fund and uh, be used to develop renewables and some of this green agenda. It just seems to me that climate change has been caused by the burning of fossil fuels. That's inarguable. The big oil and gas companies have been selling that and profiting uh, quite incredibly, uh, you know, levels of quite incredible profit from that. And it's right that they should pay because up until now, pollution hasn't been charged for around the world. 
And um, as far as I'm concerned, it's, it's overdue to charge for pollution and to say that you guys have made a lot of money and in the process created climate change. Now we have to fund uh, the fixing of climate change and you're going to have to contribute your fair share. You're a company that knows how to do green energy. Do you think some of those guys, when they're looking at what they do, uh, the, the big oil companies, are they looking at other models? Do you think they're persuaded by uh, the, the irredeemable uh, evidence that is out there? Are they seeing it? Are they getting it? Are there signs they're changing? I think they're in business first and foremost to make money. And at the moment, you know, well over 90% of their investment is in oil and gas. They're dabbling with renewables. They're beginning to dabble with uh, electrification of transport through charging networks and stuff like that. But business as usual is where they make their money, and they will resist the transformation while it makes most sense for them to carry on doing what they do. And, and we have to not allow that as a, as a nation of people, uh, as a world, in fact. We have to say, look, that's, that's not acceptable. For too long, it's been difficult to deploy cleaner, renewable options because it's been free to pollute. The polluter doesn't pay in the case of the burning of fossil fuels. We all bear the cost as a society. 40,000 people a year in Britain die prematurely because of air pollution caused by the burning of fossil fuels. The NHS spends hundreds of millions on the impacts of that polluted air. The oil and gas companies don't pay for that. We all pay for it as a society. So I think we, we do need to rebalance the system so that it's no longer free to cause this pollution and cause climate change. And when we do that, we then make it more economic to deploy renewables and cleaner options. After we did the first episode of this, Dale, there was a lot of traction on social media, incredible download figures uh, for that first one. And uh, that seems to be the direction of travel with this. Uh, and you speak as a hugely qualified voice in, in this area. But there was... One word that kept coming up, I noticed, in people responding, uh, and that was the word China. And for the very specific reason that it matters, the suggestion is it matters not a jot what we do at this end if countries as big as China aren't doing their bit. We could go carbon neutral tomorrow and it wouldn't touch the sides because of China. And there are other countries, of course, but specifically China being the size that it is. Yeah, it's kind of like the go-to excuse, isn't it, of people that don't want things to change. You know, they want to stay in this comfort zone. Uh, they may or may not agree that uh, climate change is man-made, uh, but it's convenient to say, but there's a billion people in China. Look at India. I think that would be the, the biggest uh, population in the world possibly soon yeah. uh, and other examples like that and say unless they do something it's not worth us doing anything I, I reject that absolutely uh, people used to say the same about recycling 20 years ago does it make any difference if I don't bother uh, it does we all have to bother and we bear a big responsibility in the northern hemisphere or the developed world because you know we have benefited from the industrial revolution and the mass burning of fossil fuels we've grown our sophisticated modern economies and our comfortable way of life and it's not good enough for us now to turn around and say uh, we expect other countries to lead the way in the fight against climate change we have to do that but by the way china uh, put us to shame when it comes to the levels and the rates at which they're deploying renewable energy and the electric buses that have just entered service in Britain are made in China. Mm. So I think it's a fallacious argument anyway 
for that reason as well. So they're not exactly idle in this debate, but yeah. catching up is needed to be done, of course. Yeah, I mean, they're far from idle. Um, I just think it's wrong. You know, levels of deployment of renewable energy in China, uh, you know, are you know, vastly greater than ours. And, you know, a lot, of, uh, a lot of windmills are made in China as well as electric buses. I think it's just a, it's a false argument. It's an excuse for doing nothing. And uh, in any case, it's incorrect because China is busy in this space. What about the net zero carbon promise uh, in the Labour manifesto? There was a bit of controversy over this, of course, because, you know, lots of people said it, it should be 2030, carbon yeah. neutral by, by 2030 at least. Um, they've talked about it being the 2030s. Uh, that widens it a bit. <laughs> is that is that okay? It could be another ten years. Well, my understanding was that uh, the recent party conference, a motion was passed calling for the 2030 target, and that the manifesto has kind of more or less talked about doing the best we can or doing the most of it by 2030, um, which is a softening of an absolute target. I get that, but look, 2030 is really ambitious. It's probably the most ambitious target anywhere in the world. Mm. Our current government have set a target of 2050 which is nowhere near good enough. So I, I myself wouldn't split hairs over the difference between an absolute target of 2030 okay. or doing our best by 2030. There is an awful lot to do. And actually, you know, the challenge of getting it all done by 2030 is, um, is really big. You know, I, I don't think we can be confident that we can hit it. So uh, I've got no problem with, with what they've done. I think as long as we uh, just get started as soon as possible, and do our very best, uh, you know, that's the best shot we've got anyway. Uh, it it is seismic, though, isn't it, to, to try and achieve that? What, what sort of things do individuals do? I mean, I'll give, give you an example. We were sitting there a couple of nights ago, me and my other half, talking about holidays, you know, where we're going to go on holiday. And I, I mentioned, you know, the podcast, the, the, the conversation you and I have had a couple of times on this about flying or, you know, just try flying less. You know, that would be a start or once a year or something like that. So I'm one step away from whipping out my tent, Dale, and, you know, just simply <laughs> pitching up in Stroud or something for a holiday. I mean, that's as fine as that is. It, it's not, it doesn't sit up there where I'm used to going. But are these the kind of things that we've got to just get used to. If we want to make changes, we've all kind of got to play a part. Is it as, as, as sort of simple as that? I think it is as simple as that. I think we have to accept that in some aspects of our life, we, uh, we just have to do less. And flying is absolutely one of them. You know, the big three issues that we work on are energy, transport, and food. And we like to say it's just about how we power ourselves, how we travel, and what we eat. And we can power ourselves from renewable energy. The technology is there. We can create a grid that's 100% powered by the wind and the sun. That's all very doable. We can electrify transport. Cars are happening. Buses are happening. Lorries are coming. And, and airplanes are in the sky now. Small, but they're there. So we can do that. But we've got to stop flying in the gas-guzzling jets. We've just got to only do it when it's really important. We've just got to reduce it for now until alternatives come along, which I think they will. And on the food front, we just have to stop eating animals. It's really very brutally simple. And these are all steps that we can all take. Yeah. And it's not like living a life of denial. You know, we're not going to suddenly, uh, you know, go back 100 years or something and, and, and live some kind of miserable existence. Electric cars are fantastic. Plant-based food is awesome. And renewable energy, what's not to like? You know, yeah. just cleans up the air that we breathe. So I don't have to live in a cave, but I might have to go camping in Stroud. That's... Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I'm, yeah. I'm kind of all right with that, actually. 
Yeah, and, you know, I love having holidays in Britain. Cornwall's one of my favourite places to go to. Yeah, and I had these wrong. discussions with my other half. You know, she's like, well, you know, uh, when do we last have a sunny holiday? You won't fly, you know, and I, I understand where she's coming from. Yeah. Uh, but I have a real problem with that. I had an invitation this week to go to Denmark to speak at a conference, and I won't go. But I will take part by video conference if that works for them. Yeah, you've done that before, haven't you? Which is yeah, you know, it's I, my new thing. Well, yeah, but I, as we said in the first episode, I, th I think it's great that you know when, as I mentioned, just to repeat the line, when people say you know, and our special guest is here today, and of course to make the point, their, their announcement is our special guest isn't here today, but is on Skype, which kind of rather remarkably and emphatically makes the point that you're trying to hammer home here. It does, and I really love that. And we came across it accidentally. Uh, um, you know, it was two invitations to Switzerland in one month, uh, a week apart, and it was going to eat six days on the train or something. And so we just said, no, but we'll do it by video. And, and then realized it was a really powerful message. It was, sure. uh, it was talking to UEFA, I think, the, uh, the first time. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, they, they really bought into it. And, yeah, it's, so it's our new thing. We say, yeah, it would take part, but by video. It's also a great way of people that you, you might not necessarily like very much. You can just not invite them and, and actually have a really good ethical reason why. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just th well, I'm thinking outside the box. I'm sure that is. <laughs> I don't think that's the case in, in what you're talking about, though, Dale. Uh, here's, some, here's some questions that came through after the, the first episode we did. Shelley DeCosta, this was on Facebook, he says, Dale, what do you think of carbon offsetting? I saw that Shell in the UK now offer carbon-free petrol and diesel. How can that be a thing? Yeah, I'm, I'm not actually a fan of carbon offsetting. I've kind of resisted it for many years. Uh, what does it mean for those who don't know? Oh, uh, what it means is you, um, you, you do something like, say, fly in an airplane, and you calculate the carbon cost of that. Yeah. And then you buy an equivalent amount of carbon from a project, usually in the developing world, that might be about planting trees or building windmills or something like that, that saves some carbon. And you say, my flight may have cost six tons of carbon, but I just bought that from a project that's saved right. six tons. Okay. Um, and it's okay. But there, there are two things wrong with it, really. One is it kind of excuses bad behavior. It's an easy get-out. And the other is that we can't really go on like that. We can't solve the problem of climate change by simply offsetting our emissions in the developing world. I mean, they're not responsible for enough carbon emissions for us to do that. Mm. Um, so I've never been a huge fan of it, but I can see its merits in terms of a transition for people and as a stopgap. We're doing a little bit of of it at the moment. The first time we did it actually was for the United Nations, for Forest Green. They had this program called Climate Neutral Now. And uh, what it required was the, uh, the, the measuring of a carbon footprint, the reduction of it as far as possible, and then the offsetting of the residual amount. And we already did the first two steps naturally, and they came to us and said, if you do the third one, uh, you know, you can achieve this UN status mm -hmm. and be the first sports club in the world to have done that. That wasn't that important to us, but we thought if we do this, we could hopefully kind of catalyze a reaction uh, by, you know, by helping the UN to recognize uh, a club that has done that. Um, so we, we bought 200 tons, I think it was, of carbon offsets because that's how small our footprint is, and uh, we took that step. But the, the other thing I wanted to say uh, on that is that recently the Climate Change Committee of Parliament have come up with a, they came up with the plan that said we could be carbon neutral by 2050 at no additional cost 
and they set out how we can do that. And they talk about all of the changes that we can make and how we can get our carbon footprint as a country down to an irreducible 2 or 3%. And the new idea they came up with, which I really like, is that for that 2 or 3%, we can create indigenous offset schemes. We can actually do some planting, create some wildlife areas and that kind of stuff that can absorb that residual part of our carbon footprint in our own country. And that I like a very, very great deal. So we're now working on plans ourselves as a company to, uh, to identify pieces of land that we can bring into this kind of use. We've, we've been doing uh, rewilding schemes for a little while, but we're now going to set out specifically to create indigenous offsets for ourselves and for other companies that want to take this path towards being carbon neutral as soon as possible. But ju just that idea, and we see it a lot, you know, a member of the royal family travels around the world and they say, well, don't worry, because I, you know, I then planted a tree and recycled the couscous wrapper. <laughs> I mean, that's not, that, that doesn't wash any longer. Uh, no, I think it's awful. And, and that's the worst part of carbon offsetting is that it allows you not to change your behaviour. It's, it's a get out. This from just a final one, Louise Wilson on Facebook. Really enjoyed the first episode. I've subscribed to this. Um, I'd love you to cover how easy it is for novices like me to make changes. I have green energy, but don't know what's next. And I think we'll probably cover this on quite a lot of episodes, actually, Dale. But, mm -hmm. you know, for, I, mean, I think we touched on it. It, it doesn't take every individual to do everything, but it takes every individual to do something. It's kind of in that ballpark, isn't it? Yeah, and there are lots of things we can do. So if you've got green energy, that's great. Uh, I would say also on the energy front, we need to use less. So that requires efficient appliances, LED light bulbs and that kind of stuff. And we need to waste less. That requires a change in behavior. Don't leave lights on in a room. Don't leave things plugged in. That's what you can do in energy. In, sure. in transport, it's, it's the same kind of principle. You know, travel less and travel for a purpose. And when you do travel, be as sustainable as possible. If you can walk, if you can cycle, if you can take public transport, do those things. And at the very end of that spectrum, <laughs> don't fly unless you really have to. Sure. And in food, it's super simple. Stop eating meat and dairy. And, and that's an enormous change that you can bring. So it's available to all of us to take any and all of these steps. And we'd be failing here, uh, as a final point, not to, uh, not, not to have a, a drop of Donald Trump. Um, I, I almost couldn't say the words then for some reason. A dollop um, of Donald Trump. A dollop of Donald Trump, as it shall now be known. Let's have a listen. I wish you could go to Greenland, uh, watch these huge chunks of ice just falling into the ocean, raising the sea levels. You don't know whether or not that would have happened with or without man? You don't know? Well, you're scientists. You're scientists at no, NOAA have, and NASA. No, we have scientists that disagree with that. What about Nin the scientists who say it's worse than ever? You'd have to show me the scientists because they have a very big political agenda, Leslie. I can't Look, bring them Scientists in. also have a political agenda. I mean, there he is again. He, he can't kind of stop himself. But I, I do still wonder, and maybe there's a bit of an optimism in me, misplaced perhaps as it is. Uh, but I, I just look at the United States and I think, you know, clearly they could be doing a lot more and they need to be doing a lot more. I mean, are, are we underestimating Donald Trump here? Is he, do you think he's got a... Uh, has he got a plan in his back pocket that before next year, when he tries to get re-elected, he's going to whip it out and say, we're going to go windmill crazy in this country? <laughs> now, if he's got a plan, it won't be that. <laughs> I mean, I think his plan is to, you know, do quite the opposite, really, isn't it? It's about coal, oil, gas. You know, he's, he's, um, he's the polar opposite to that kind of plan. The Democrats have got the new Green Deal. Um, he's got, I don't know what he's got. He's got, let's open up Alaska to drilling for oil and gas companies, you know. 
that kind of stuff. That's the kind of guy he is. Um, but I think his plan is to um, polemicize the whole debate in uh, in his country, uh, to shout down the facts and the truth. You can see that in the impeachment inquiries. It's just incredible what Republican uh, members are saying uh, in regards to that inquiry, the, the, the ways they're trying to defend him. It, it's totally counterfactual, the stuff that they say. There's a, there's a complete denial of simple truth, and we seem to live in a world that is post-truth. And that's coming to here to Britain as well. I think we've been infected by it. If you look what's happening in the election, the Tories in particular just make stuff up. And when they're caught making stuff up, they say, well, no, that's fine. You know, it's not made up. It's, it's quite valid for us to do this. Like um, a week ago, they made an estimate of what Labour's election manifesto would cost and interviewed about it. I saw them challenged and told that they'd actually just taken a whole bunch of commitments from the last several years, added them all together, and then doubled it to reach their number. And they were shameless about that. They said, well, we think that's fair. <laughs> Where do you go from there? On that point, Dale, we will speak on the next episode. That's it for this episode. Don't forget, of course, to subscribe for free from your podcast provider so that you get each new episode automatically. Leave a review too. Really important bit this. Make sure you follow Dale on social media, twitter.com slash Dale Vince, or, of course, facebook.com slash Dale Vince. We'll see you on the next episode. Zero. Carbon. East off.